Rolf um, Schutter, who's um, going the outgoing CEO. Rob Schutter. Rob Schutter. Not Ralph, no. <laughs> Can't be Ralph after Ralph. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, these rise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's, um, uh, he's succeeding Rob. And, yeah, so I think this is, you know, the market really was you know, probably pleased with this, with this outcome. Um, and the main reason is because, you know, he was brought in in 2017 with the new MTN management team mm. that was brought in to kind of sort out the mess that MTN found itself in, especially from the regulatory issues in Nigeria. And because he had, you know, he was a CEO of old mutual mortgage markets, he had extensive experience within the different uh, markets which, in which yes. um, um, MTN operated in. So the you know the founder and, and non-exec chairman you know Putuma probably you know probably was looking to put him in this in this position eventually. So he's probably you know this was part of probably the plan for a long time coming, mm. and he was obviously groomed with you know Rob there to show him the ropes, um, and you know Rob did a good job. And I think now the business is stable, and you know someone who has extensive knowledge of the region that operates in and has had a good track record is in a good position to take the business forward. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you make of uh, Rob Shooter's time at the helm? Um, I mean, it's certainly been a time where that's coincided with a, a retreat from the Middle East, um, all of those issues they found in uh, the West African markets as well. When you take stock of uh, Rob Shooter's time at the helm, which ends at the end of this month, he's probably going to be around until uh, early next year just to pass on the baton. But um, when you reflect on how uh, he has performed at the helm, uh, what do you make of that? I think you know you know different CEOs sometimes need to perform different um, different different things at the as part of leadership. So it's okay to have someone step into leadership position to perform a certain function. His function was to turn around the business, and he executed you know superbly, and no one can fault him with that. Um, the fact that he wants to move on now is, is perfectly fine because he did the job that it's required and he was paid handsomely for it. So I think you can be happy. And it's okay to have someone else now step into there um, because, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need another, you know, turnaround, you know, specialist in, in the CEO now. I think now that the business is stable, it is okay for someone to kind of step in there because I think, you know, the hardest part is through. I think it'd be much more difficult to have Ralph step in with a limited experience in, in telcos to come and step in this position. But I think it's easier to have someone come and step in um, after you know they've you know ha- you know been through you know, the tough part of the business, and he also was not part of you know the the, the mess ups that happened in, within MTN. So you know Rob did a tremendous job. Um, you know he probably you know was tracked to the role, executed, and it's okay for him to leave. I mean, he doesn't have to stay there. Doesn't say anything. I think the important takeaway is that the board was able to identify the correct person for the position, and the necessary skills get required to turn on the business. And now they've also identified the right skill sets to continue the business. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly always is a great assurance for the market to have an insider coming into the berth there. And uh, we'll certainly be watching closely uh, how things pan out because uh, Rolf is uh, faced with a lot of shifts in the technology sector, one of those being the rollout of 5G and, uh, uh, of course, also a spectrum auction that might be on the cards here in South Africa. Let's shift our attention and uh, maybe stay in the uh, telco or tech sector, if I can put it like that. China is now stockpiling cobalt. What's happening? I think it's Tesla. <laughs> I think it's Tesla is what's happening. So I think you need to mm. kind of, I think 
beyond just the you know the demand that dynamics and the shortage or the you know the, the, the supply disruption. Um, you know, with Tesla coming into build the biggest factory in China, obviously there is catering to the Chinese market, and now you know there's a bigger interest in having electrical vehicles being produced. And it's going to add to the GDP of the economy of China. And, you know, it's going to lead to, obviously, a higher growth rate in terms of electric vehicles because of the population just itself in China. So that is why now, you know, I think, you know, it's important for, you know, the Chinese government to secure a supply of cobalt, given that, you know, we've seen that actually, you know, you know, Geofactory was able to go back online and continue production much quicker than some of the, you know, you know international counterparts in, in vehicle production. So I think, you know, beyond just there being, you know, some shortage that happened in the industry, I believe there is some, you know, sort of self-interest within, you know, the, the, the relationship between, you know, where Tesla is. Because we know that cobalt is going to be in huge demand going forward mm. because of its necessity in the supply chain within producing electric vehicles. And because of now Tesla being that market now, I think, you know, there is probably some, you know, intermingling of politics and business where, you know, that, that source of cobalt needs to be secured going forward. Yeah, yeah. What is all of this going to mean? I guess, I mean, we, we've seen in the DRC, which is one of the largest producers of the stuff, um, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, political changes and shifts that are underway as well. And uh, one would think that, uh, I guess, uh, with uh, what the prices have been doing of cobalt, that that might be good on the foreign exchange side of things. But will it lead to any stability, if at all? So any time, you know, a superpower such as China is stockpiling on any metal or precious metal or mineral, um, it's good for the price. So mm. because when it, when they are in demand of something, it really does move the market. Um, you know, we saw it with gold, and now we're seeing it also. You know, with you know with with um, with cobalt now. So it's really good for the mineral, um, and it's good for the prices of of cobalt. It's going to probably going you know, to remain at these levels until they decide that they've you know stockpiled enough. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we hope that, you know, the supply destruction is only temporary. And depending on how quickly we can get those, you know, even from the port and the, and the actual trade going through the port, as soon as there's some stabilization in the supply side of the chain, um, then you're going to start seeing some stabilization of also this prices. Um, but, you know, I think the demand is also, you know, it's not really short term. It's medium to long term, given that the demand for electric vehicles is still in its early stages and it's likely to grow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're going to be picking up on some of that uh, with uh, Yamgela Spengani later on uh, the, in our show as we're going to be talking, I guess, about uh, Tesla, uh, the electric vehicle market, and of course, uh, some of the uh, obscene amounts of wealth uh, that uh, are being made there. But that being said, uh, let's shift our attention now to retailer Truett's. They've written down some of their, I guess, uh, the value of some of their South African op- assets, but uh, uh, the one that certainly, I guess, has uh, received a lot of attention is them writing down the value of their UK-based uh, retailer office by just shy of 3 billion rand. Yes, I think, you know, you know, any company that's going to sneak through, you know, um, any impairments now would be the time because of COVID. You can blame it on COVID because, you know, that's it's the best cop-out. But at the end of the day, they overpaid for the for the transaction for, I mean, 5 point I mean, I don't know how many billions it is, 2.8 billion. Um, is how much they they writing it down, and that's a lot. So you know we've seen this before. Companies overpay, and I think you know I think we had Cecil come out with also an impairment. So all these companies now because of COVID, um, are forced to write down, and I think also 
some extent it may be justified because if you look at demand, because basically when you write down something, you're basically saying, I thought this was going to generate X amount of, you know, of sales over the next five years. And then you adjust it down to say, well, it's actually going to be half of that, so therefore the value is less. So some of that may be just, you know, really there's going to be, you know, they see demand completely changing. But some of that is not really the case where this, this sort of, you know, temporary hiccup of COVID is short term and that the longer term should still be the same. So in some instances, you'll find that people are just, you know, maybe kitchen thinking and using the opportunity that COVID has given them to, you know, maybe do a ride down um, because they're overpaid. And, you know, I think, you know, pretty much that's what happened with Truett, especially given that they, they bought a, you know, but they, a, shoe, a, shoe, a shoe retailer in, in the UK. Um, in the region that they're not really, you know, very familiar with or very good at or do have a track record of operating in. So, um, you know, same like David Jones and, you know, they've been forced now to do a write-down, which is not good for shareholders at all. Certainly some, uh, uh, I guess, uh, tough news for them there, but uh, I guess it goes back, no longer to what uh, we've always said about the checkered history of South African companies going into uh, offshore markets and uh, some in some cases coming back with the tail between their legs. Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's just one too many stories of that. And I hate, I hate you know, the stigma that is bad where the Africans can't go offshore because, you know, even the few cases that are good, they always make to skepticism. And, you know, you know, you kind of have to wait years before, you know, management teams are really being, you know, given the credit of doing good transactions. Um, but unfortunately, and it's always these big transactions with many, many billions. You know, no one goes there with just a few hundred million. It's always a big number. And that's the problem, is that you go overseas and you make these transactions. And they're not small ticket sizes. They're huge ticket sizes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people always, the story of going offshore, going away from SA, is always, in the, you know, the, the lure to everyone. And, you know, so when they, you know, go out there, people possibly get excited. But I think, you know, even within that, we've seen that it's gotten burned quite a few times. Mm, mm, mm. And then in our SOEs, uh, we saw uh, the uh, Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises today uh, receiving reports on uh, all of the happenings in our SOEs and certainly a very sad state of affairs. Our diamond miner, Alexco, might be uh, folding shops soon. We also saw the likes of Safcol, the forestry a company also are finding itself in a, a bad environment. And you add to that uh, the ones we talk about all the time, SAA, SA Express, uh, the transnets of the world. Uh, what are some of the key highlights uh, from that presentation? That there are more SOEs than we know of. <laughs> right. There's about 700 of these things, no longer. Just means. I mean, I mean, what the hell? Right, so... All the little, small, little, you know, spiders coming out of the woodworks now. So I think, you know, I think, yeah, the first thing is that we do have a lot of SOEs that we don't really know about. So there's probably a lot of really badly run SOEs that are loss-making that we just probably just aren't getting attention or time or publicity on it. So I don't know what that number is in terms of the ones that are underperforming. But I, ma- I imagine, given that, you know, there's so many of just the big sample sets are underperforming, that obviously the smaller ones will also... So I think, you know, you know, it's so unfortunate because, you know, the, the you know, the theme that keeps being thrown around is, you know, should there be SOEs? Can government run SOEs? And I think that doesn't help with the, you know, confidence and, you know, confidence that we place on our people in office when, you know, so many of our SOEs are poorly run. 
And, you know, some of them, yes, there are probably some legacy issues that, you know, they're inherited, and some of it is corruption. And because with each story, there's, you know, there's always something, it's very hard to kind of, you know, identify whether it's, should even governments own any states in anything? Should they be running anything? Mm. Is privatization um, the key and the answer to everything? I think, you know, you know that's going to be obviously the age-old debate and it will always continue as long as we see um, these, these, these SOEs being badly run. Um, but I think also, I think what's key is to, you know, take, you know, careful step in identifying whether governments should be in some of these things. I mean, the SAA story, we all know that SAA, um, I've been saying for what is the purpose of SA? What's it doing? Um, you know, you need to be able to let go of what is not necessarily helping not only the, the, the government process, but also if there's no actual understanding is a job element to it. But I think, you know, if government does step away from things that, you know, add no value, um, you know, maybe someone else can pick it up and, you know, do something with it. I mean, a small miner like, you know, Alex Kaur, um, mm. I'm sure one of these big miners can take it and it'll probably be just like a small little... Um, no, we won't even rely on items in the balance sheets and they can, you know, take it over. So I think, you know, just from a strategic point of view, you need to evaluate, you know, these SOEs and what should you be in. Yeah, hey, it's going to... I mean, to rationalize about a 700 of these, uh, which include anything from sort of diamond miners to uh, energy companies to rail companies to water boards and everything else in between, is certainly going to be a tough ask. And it's not something you can do uh, I guess uh, in the short run. But Nolan, as always, always a pleasure catching up with you and thank you very much for your time.